Welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey where we talk with people who are trying to live their most fulfilling life, which often tends to be on a much different path than it started out on. Whether it was changing careers, getting laid off from a job which sparked their entrepreneurial journey, or breaking through the noise to answer their calling. All of these types of situations and more, but they wouldn't have gotten to where they're at today if they didn't get started. We talk about the why and the how of these getting started moments and the lessons learned along the way. I'm grateful to have you listening in along on this episode, so let's get it started. On this week's episode, I welcome in Helene Knapp, who is the founder and CEO of City Row. And just a quick shout out to my friend Ben Bradbury, who connected Helene and I. He's got a great podcast called Subject Matter, where they talk about business leaders building powerful relationships with empathetic communication. Now, let me read a quick bio of Helene before we jump into the podcast interview. After spending years climbing the corporate ladder, Helene left the world of publishing for tech startup life. Group fitness was her outlet while working hard and taking on the hustle and bustle of New York City. Months of spin and boot camp classes left her with a lower back injury, and she began searching for a workout that was low impact but super effective. After a friend suggested rowing, Helene initially rejected it as something, and I quote, my dad did in college, but following a few workouts on a sexy machine, pairing it with total body sculpting moves off the machine, changed her mind and the concept for City Row was born. With a mission of delivering a smart, fun, effective workout to all fitness levels, under NAP's leadership, City Row has grown from one studio in New York City to a national omni-channel fitness brand with 12 open studios and 65 franchises sold nationwide, along with a top-ranked on-demand global program featuring at-home rowers and a fast-growing digital subscription business. She has been featured as a business leader and a wellness expert on Today, Women's Health, ABC, Harper's Bazaar, Shape, Well & Good, Vogue, Yahoo Finance, and People, among many others. I hope you all enjoy this wide-ranging conversation between Helene and I. So without further ado, Please welcome in Helene Knapp. Helene, welcome to the uh, podcast. Thanks for joining today. Brian, thanks for having me. I'm always excited to, to chat with new folks. And especially when we have, I know we have mutual connections. And um, I saw you're on my friend Ben Bradbury's podcast. And and you know what's so funny is the reason I, I reached out, because I was like, I got to have you on here. I I came across City Row, I, I don't know when it was, recent, I, heard the, I heard the name, and there's kind of, you know, in passing, and then when I saw you were on his podcast, I was like, oh, wait a minute. So as I dug deeper, I'm like, oh, this is awesome because you don't know much about me, but I'm big into CrossFit and you can't see it from me sitting down, but I'm, you know, almost 6'3", um, very kind of lanky, if you will. So rowing is one of my better movements that I do. So I, I love rowing. Yeah. Type, Brian. Yeah. So I love rowing. Um, so I'm like, all right, let's, I want to talk about this. this is a fascinating business. Let's go into that a little bit more. So anyways, thanks for being on. Um, and excited to chat a little bit. I, I wanted to start here, though, um, as a conversation starter, because your journey, it seems like it's ebbed and flowed, obviously, in terms of different directions. I want to go back to your college days for a minute. If we were talking when you were at, at Michigan, if you and I happen to have a conversation back then, what were you going to do for your life? What was your like, this is what I'm going to do. I, I already have it figured out. 
I certainly had nothing figured out in college. I was very much going with the flow, more of an observer, observer, I would say in college um, versus being super proactive. I think in retrospect, would have loved to see myself in the business school being super aggressive and ambitious and, you know, really kind of driving for what's next. But the truth is that I was actually a pretty shy kid growing up. Um, fairly, you know, very conscientious when it came to studying, getting stuff done, but really, really, really insecure, really um, working on building that confidence. And so mm-hmm. in college, I was like, oh, I'll just be a psych major because that sounds pretty easy. Okay. Dabbled in a couple of classes here and there, but the future was really unknown for me. Now, had you spoken to me in my junior or senior year after some summers spent at Condé Nast as an intern, I think I probably would have said, I'm going to go into business. I'm excited to start working because it was in those internships, probably even more so than in college, that I learned a lot of self-worth and a lot of value because I was really, really, really good at being an intern, which translated to being good at a job. So it really kind of grew throughout my college career. But um, I would say super shy, not very confident and the kind of kind of waiting around to see what was next. Yeah. Well, and the reason I asked that is because, as you know, life, again, changes so dramatically that generally what we want to do, you know, hey, I want to be an architect or lawyer, all this stuff. It almost never comes to fruition. Or if it does, we generally pivot at some point into what we really want to do. Um, so I, that's what I want to ask you here. What has been the because obviously you went to Condé Nast, you're obviously working in the corporate setting, right? You're kind of going through the that process that we all kind of go through. What was the turning point that changed for you? Obviously, you're on a totally different path than that right now. So was there one or two turning points you can share that you remember were so impactful to get you on a new um, a new path? Great question. I would say there were two. That One, there was a moment when I was working in publishing in magazines where I realized two things. One, I didn't believe in what we were selling, which was a problem. I didn't believe that an advertiser should spend $100,000 on a single page in a magazine. I just didn't sit well with me as a millennial, as an innovator. I just couldn't believe in it. And I realized I got to really believe in what I'm doing, right? Very millennial statement, but I am. I, I, I know it well, yeah. <laughs> I'll, lean in, I'll lean in hard here, Brian. Um, and I think the second one, you know, that kind of forced me to leave the world of publishing and find myself in the world of tech startups that were you know, really moving quickly, helping brands understand social media. It's really where I built my career was at fast growing, fast startups. Mm-hmm. And there I learned that I was really fucking good at what I was doing. I hope that I can curse on this podcast. You sure can, go, go right ahead. Um, and so I would say that the second piece is that I learned that I wanted to bet on me. And that was the first time when I was working at Buddy Media where all of a sudden everyone else was betting on me. Put Helene on that account. Give Helene that account. Helene can handle that upsell. And coming out of that, I was like, wow, I actually really think that I can do this. This meaning business. This meaning putting a lot on my plate. Mm-hmm. And so that, I, I think, really gave me the confidence that, you know, further along in my journey, kind of gave me that confidence to bet on myself to actually start City Row. Yeah. Well, so how do you get, though, to the point, because this comes up a lot on the podcast, is you said, hey, listen, I can bet on myself. I could do these things. But actually taking action and doing it is a totally different animal. So maybe chat about the early days of City Row. Like, how did the idea originate? 
And then how did you ultimately, how, what was the jump off point to say, all right, I'm doing this. So I'm working at these fast paced startups. And after college, I just fell in love with working out and being healthy because I had basically been a bit of a chubbier kid growing up and going to Michigan did not help with that. Um, I was not working out a lot in college. I was certainly not rowing in college. And so after college, working at Connie Nass, nine to five, found myself at the gym, was doing the Weight Watchers, lost, you know, 20, 30 pounds, feeling really good about myself, start working out, you know, a lot. And then I hit, start working for these fast growing tech companies. And all of a sudden I'm not getting to the gym unless I book a class. And so I fell fast and hard for boutique fitness as a consumer. And it was a huge, huge, huge part of my life while I was, you know, I would say crushing my, my day job in these kind of corporate startup environments. And it was really an injury through that. So after a couple of years of doing that, I started to not feel so good in my lower back and actually found out that I had herniated three discs in my lower back. There was no accident. Nothing had happened, but over time, not treating my body in a smart way, even though I thought I was, right? I was working out four or five days a week. I was doing all these classes. I was spending a fortune on fitness and I found myself injured over time because I wasn't moving it in a smart way. I was moving it a lot, checking a lot of boxes, Brian, but I wasn't doing a smart way of movement. And so it was kind of, it was really that moment in time where I was sidelined couldn't do my boutique fitness classes. I couldn't spin. I couldn't run. I couldn't box jump. I couldn't do the weird classes that we did on Tuesday involving a chair. Yeah. And that forced me to realize, hey, I don't typically do the right thing. And I really thought that I was doing the right thing by working out all the time and buying expensive leggings. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't equate in my mind that I should be injured. If anything, I should be like running in Tough Mudder or something. Yeah. Like, not wearing a back brace, which I had to do. And so it was really that personal frustration that forced me to kind of look at the space and be like, if I'm injured, is anyone else injured? And I'm young. I was in my mid twenties and I'm also want to be really active for my whole life. I'm a big tennis player. I love to hike. My whole family's really active. Mm. I was like, we're working out for so many days of the week now and years of our lives, right? I'm kind of looking at these trends of, people don't stop working out because they moved to the suburbs and have some kids. Yeah. My parents work out multiple times a week, probably more than me. My grandma, 85 years old, does Pilates three times a week. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure if she's doing Pilates. I got to be honest with you. But she's wearing athletic wear and mentally she's there. And there's a one pound weight that she moves around while she's sitting on a chair. So I think it's fantastic. And so I kind of just saw a personal need for something that was going to give me these results that I was chasing, idealistic body images, right? In your 20s and 30s but that was a lot more under the hood to keep my ankles, knees, hips, shoulders, back, everything really safe and strong so I can keep doing it into my 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Like I, I want to be Ruth Bader Ginsburg, 90 plus years old with the trainer fucking crushing it. And so if I want to do that, I have to be a little smarter today. And so that's where I was like, is there something better? Yeah. Well, so it's one thing, again, I'm going to, I'm going to have you lean into this a little bit. Cause it's one thing to sketch the golden gate bridge. It's another thing to build it. Mm-hmm. When did you decide that? Okay. Cause you, you could have bought a rower and put, I have a rower in my garage, right? And just do rowing. When did you decide to say, wait a minute, I have something here. This could help others. As you mentioned, I'm going to actually 
get a studio. I'm going to buy equipment. I'm going to make a business plan. Like, when did that all end your mind? Was that just kind of overnight or did that take a while for you to actually convince yourself you could do it? It took a long while. I think it started with the fact that I didn't want a rower and I didn't want to row because I thought that rowing was ugly. I thought rowing was like for a Winklevoss twin or for no offense, Brian, <laughs> people like you, like CrossFit dudes who were like, hey. I'm going to row for two minutes and then I'm going to go lift something heavy. I got my barbell. Like that is all I could think of. I know I'm like making fun of you. I'm like, that, you, that is you. Right? I, I are, you are you identifying? Are you identifying? Hey, listen, I enjoy rowing. I, I think it's phenomenal, though, from a workout, because to your point, the injury stuff, I actually love rowing because when I run, I find that, you know, my knees, I'm getting old, I'm, I'm in my upper 30s, you know, I'm an older millennial. So it, I get to that point where I was like, my knees start creaking and stuff. But when I do rowing, it's a totally different workout. And it's it's more injury prevention for me. So anyways, I don't take offense to anything you're saying. You, you hit the nail on the head, but I was sitting there as a, just a consumer thinking, well, I can't picture myself rowing. Yeah. So I was actually very against this idea. Even though I saw all the trends and I saw an opportunity, I was like, I don't want to row. Um, but I kept on talking about my injury. And I actually, it was the realization that everyone was injured. And I had a friend running a marathon with torn meniscus and doing tough mutters with a torn rotator cuff. People that were really hurt, like breaking bones during CrossFit and hurting their lower backs where I was like, what are we doing? And I really kind of saw a need for something in the marketplace that was this like sexy, cool, trendy thing that we were all gravitating towards. But that actually, once you looked under the hood, it was really smart and effective and rooted in mobility and stretching and core work. And that was scientifically backed. And so I was like, I think that this rowing thing is is really amazing for you. The more I learned about it, like, you know, total body, torches, calories, also low impact. Mm -hmm. So everyone can do it and really get a lot out of it without putting a lot of stress on your body, which is the fucking holy grail. The problem is it has an image problem and it's not mainstream. People grow up running and riding bikes. No one grows up rowing, save maybe a couple people, you know, in some collegiate towns on the East Coast. And so I kind of saw this, you know, massive opportunity, also some barriers. And one of the first barriers that I encountered as I started to play around with it was that it was really hard. And I didn't want to row for more than like, I don't know, a minute. And so I talked to a bunch of friends and my trainer and I was like, actually, it's basically a power exercise. It's a, it's a deadlift. And so the best way to leverage the rower is actually for a hit class. It's perfect for a hit class. And so the idea is still just an idea at this point. It's evolving from, hey, we got to make rowing sexy to, hey, we have to make rowing sexy. And actually, it's not all about rowing. Um, This is our kind of idea that would be about 50 to 60% rowing. And then the rest, we're actually going to be on and off the machine. And we're going to prepare your body to do work. Hey, that's a novel idea. Not just like a couple of hip stretches and some hamstring stretches, but let's do some dynamic warm-ups. Let's use the word mobility. Um, and then let's actually lift a weight, you know? Yeah. Um, this is the perfect way and it's going to torch a lot of calories. So we kind of went from like, a, I actually didn't want to do it. It was very like this, I'm intrigued by it, but like, man, I don't want to row to continuing to just see this hole and see this problem and see friends of mine injured. And I was injured and I couldn't do anything mm-hmm. that just kind of kept the idea flowing. And I kept talking about it and all of a sudden we had the rough sketch of a program, right? So now we have the designs and the piece of advice that kept me going is from a serial entrepreneur friend of mine saying, just keep making decisions to move the company forward. 
And so people ask me often, when was the jump in moment? When did you start the company? And there wasn't a jump in moment. There were a couple of bigger decisions throughout that first those first 18 months, like when I asked some friends to just build me a website, right? It was some friends of mine, we got together, we were having a great time, super, super talented friends of mine who helped me assess demand through the website, sign up here for the next big thing, and then sharing it on Facebook. And then it was talking to a lawyer. Hey, do we need an operating agreement? Then it was like, I got to put some money in. So I put in the first 25K into the business, which you know lasted us almost basically until we signed a lease because there wasn't a whole lot of operating costs at that point. Right. So at this point, I'm 25K in. Sure, I've started a company, but it's not much yet. We're just talking about it. To me, there was nothing until I signed a lease for a space. And so I spent time just looking for real estate. But again, like there's no harm in looking and talking and even getting a letter of intent out to a landlord. Big moment was when we decided to move forward in the space and we started negotiating a lease. And it was really horrible. I got tons of stories for the book on that one, Brian. But basically hustled this landlord, he hustled me. And signing that lease was, I would say, probably the jump in moment because then the time was ticking. But then again, I realized I could always just turn it into a yoga studio or a CrossFit space. And so every decision just kept on building but there was never a massive moment until after we brought on board Annie, our founding instructor. And after we sent out the email to the 1500 people who'd signed up for this thing before we even opened, no marketing, until we opened our doors. That was a jump in moment. And then there was also the day I quit my other job because this was all a side hustle for me. And so I think it wasn't until I quit my job that it became real. How was, when you quit your other job, how... Like, where was this? What was the state of the business? Was it bringing in a lot of revenue at that point? Was it still not an idea, but like doors were open, moving, but you're like, all right, I got to put the time in or it's never going to be full. Where, where were you kind of at with your headspace? We had just opened our doors. I was, I was really, really burnt out from doing both two startups. So my other tech company, I was running client services and also doing some sales for a fast growing tech company. Mm-hmm. And I was also dealing with a back injury. I always say do a side hustle for as long as you possibly can. I don't recommend two startups. Like it would have been a lot easier if I was like a Microsoft nine to five, but not two startups. And I probably should have quit a lot earlier, but I didn't know the financial state of this new company I was starting. And I needed to stay through my end of the year bonus. I really needed that 25K to make sure that I could stick around. And like, even if I had to go without a salary for, you know, six, eight, 12, whatever months, I'd have a little bit more of a cushion. So I actually pushed myself way too far. I quit the day we opened and my, my, my founders of that company who are actually investors in City Road today, all of my former bosses are investors, just really awesome. fine. They were like, this is great. I mean, we do want everyone to start their own company one day, but we were hoping it would be like three years from now. Uh, they were shocked because they were like, you're doing such a great job, but I knew this was coming and I had like mastermind someone else to come in do a great job. So a lot of guilt, a lot of guilt, a lot of stress leading up to that moment, but I had to. It became way, way, way too much. When did you, at what point did you know you had something? So funny, you know, Savannah Guthrie asked me this on the Today Show a couple of years ago. Oh, okay. That when did you know you made it? And I'll answer the exact same way. And I'm still not sure we made it, but we're working on it. Hmm. Right? Joy, we, joy is the journey. And that's true, we, yeah. we've come, we've come a very long way. 
I'm very proud of what we've built so far. We have a huge business and it's growing, but we have a lot to do still. Was the initial idea just to have a couple studios and in person? Because obviously you're doing all this stuff with, you know, home equipment now and the app and all this stuff. So what was the initial business idea? And then when did you decide to start pivoting it a little bit and saying, wait, I, we see some other opportunities here? So there were, there were a couple moments. I think, you know, you were like, when did revenue start to come in? Once we sent out that first email, people to sign up for classes, like we were profitable in our first month because we were buying class packs and coming in and we had organic press and the operating expenses were not that much. So once that happened, I was like, okay, I think this could actually work. I'm going to pay myself $45,000 a year, you know, mm-hmm. massive pay cut. But I was like, at least I can maybe pay for some of my rent to like help supplement and then from there, I brought on board my co-founder, Ashley, and we were like, okay, one studio is great, but the plan was never to have one studio. You know, I, was, I, was, I grew up in fast-paced startups with amazing people that I watched, you know, sell companies for a billion dollars. So the plan was, let's grow this thing. But I was never going to commit to a plan because you can't make decisions now for five years from now. That's just stupid. So I had people, investors, be like, are you going to franchise the business? What's going to happen? And I'm like, what? At that point, in the beginning, I was like, we're never going to franchise, but we'll be the soul cycle of rowing. That was the initial plan, right? And so we opened a second location. And then it was in the middle of 2016. We had two studios. We were learning how to operate two, where we were, we were really punching far above our weight class, right? We had two studios in New York City, but we were the press darlings. We were, the, we were and are the name in rowing for fitness, and I was like feeling the pressure to start to really be the brand that people saw us as. And that meant big expansion. And so I took a step back in 2016 and was looking at the landscape. A couple things. One, Orange Theory is, you know, popping off. There's a th- over a thousand locations nationwide. Most people are playing in physical locations. So I was like, okay, I know I want to play there. But I was seeing an early numbers at a Peloton. And we live in a New York City bubble. And so everyone's talking about it. And more than people talking about it, I was feeling it from my friends in the industry, right? I had my finger on the pulse of what's happening. And I was watching friends move to the suburbs and no longer be able to come take the Tuesday, Thursday, 6.30 p.m. with Annie. But they still wanted to work out and they were craving those in-person experiences. But they, their lifestyle changed. And so I very much believed in this at-home experience as a complement for fitness, whether it was a period of your life that you couldn't physically get there or you have a weird schedule, or it's days four, five, and six that you can't get to a gym. And so 2016, we made two really big bets, all in the notion of going to meet the customer where they were today and where they were going to start growing into, which meant both in-studio and as well as at home. And so we took some seed capital in 2016 to start building out City Row Go, which is our at-home rower mm-hmm. and on-demand software, soon-to-be live classes. So you can actually engage with City Row in a studio through New York City, ones that we own, or we did decide to franchise the business. They're a franchising company based in Ann Arbor. And so we were like, all of a sudden, we had these two really fast-growing channels of consumption, and it was on us to make sure that that was a seamless experience for the consumer. But we knew that that's where they were playing. And so those were some pivotal moments where we decided to really really hit the gas and started to expand in the ways that we felt matched consumer behavior. And, and just remind me, where are we currently at? Number of franchises, studio, stuff like that. What, what's kind of the numbers today as we're talking? So we have sold 65 franchises. We have nine open nationwide. 
and we have close to 5,000 subscribers um, growing very quickly globally. Wow, that's awesome. Are you are you guys coming on a rally at all? You have an open franchise. Rally North Carolina. You know, I have to check. I do believe we have a pretty great franchisee in, uh, give me give me a maybe, couple maybe other. Charlotte. In yeah, Charlotte, we do, okay. Jeff. About two and a half hours away, yeah. Raleigh's an awesome, I mean, Raleigh's that's an awesome. Bad. Yeah. That's not bad. See, Brian, you're the perfect consumer, right? So you can't get to a physical location, but you're obsessed with the brand and you're obsessed with the experience. And so you're going to get an at-home machine. You're going to crush the back to sweat challenge that is going on right now. And hey, maybe you're going to use the rower that you have in your basement, which I'm assuming is a concept too, but maybe it's a, has a PM5 machine in which it will sync via Bluetooth to our software. And then whenever you're in Charlotte or New York or Richmond or wherever you are, you'll take class in person and all your data will sync. That's very good. You know your brands. Yes, I do have a concept too. So um, it's it's pretty good. For now, for now you have a concept. For now. For now. I have but, five more minutes to convince you to get something better. But to your point though, to your point though, there are times, yes, because I can't, you know, I have a, you know, I'm a single dad. I have a nine-year-old like with school the weeks I have, like it's, it's crazy. So I can't always get over to CrossFit. So the reason I bought the rower and, and really the reason I built out my home gym was because I crave those workouts that I have to do. Otherwise, I think my sanity might be in check. So it's like, I got to get those in. So to your point, the people moving the suburbs and needing something else, I think being able to go where the market is, is, a, is obviously a great strategy. It seems like it's worked out at this point for y'all. So um, I, I want to ask too, as the, cause what it's been about nine years, I think that you guys have been doing this. Is that wow, right? that long? It's definitely... Is that long? I, I thought that... Fact check me on that. Eight years in okay. January from opening the first studio. Yeah. But I'm still 25. Well, so so go from what you were doing that day, like the, the beginning stage, that day that you quit your job, you opened the studio, to responsibilities today. Like the shifting, because because that's a big shift, Right. Um, yeah. do you, do you still get deep into the throes of what you were doing kind of in that first day, or do you kind of, are you more on the, more on the full business side, kind of dealing with a lot of other stuff that you're not even doing? I'm just curious how you transition as a person in eight years from a business that you're, you know, that you started, obviously. It it's so, it's so different, but I think I was very predisposed to be able to grow in the role. And I say that in that I knew nothing about running a studio when we first opened. And in retrospect, I was the general manager of the studio. I was there probably, you know, 10 to 15 hours a week talking to clients, selling clients on packages. I was talking to corporations about buyouts and bringing in, you know, clients with them. I was dealing with the landlord. I was running a PL. I was thinking about how do we market? How do we bring new people in? I was dealing with the instructors and the front desk and the schedule. So I was the I was the front desk. I was the GM. We quickly, you know, brought people on board so I could start working on the business, not in the business. But that was a really hard moment to step away. And then my job was, how do we grow this thing? How do we capitalize this thing? What kind of partners do we want to bring on board? And so I very quickly moved from being in the business, taking front desk shifts, mm -hmm. to making sure that there were people to run the front desk shifts and capital to support them. And then it became very much a biz dev role, right? We're going to partner with this franchising company. What's that deal going to look like? How do I strike a deal? Who do I need to help run this by? Yeah. Talking to our manufacturer, they were actually our seed capital into City Row Go. And then I became a tech CEO, right? I got to hire an agency. We got to build an app. And I'm going to be honest with you, that felt really comfortable because of my background in tech. 
And so there was a big period of time where I was managing the tech build, my co-founder, Ashley, who's also very talented in that space, as well as starting to nurture this franchise system. And so that was probably, you know, 2016 to 2018, we were building out the infrastructure to launch both of those, which we launched in 2018. And then since then, it's very much my role is how do I efficiently capitalize the business? We're still really scrappy. Where are the opportunities for us to grow and partner, whether it's bringing on, you know, some B2B partnerships or, you know, new franchisees in specific territories that we feel are really strategic, opening corporate stores, figuring out our supply chain. And so now I am very much a CEO of fast-growing tech company and a franchisor and juggling a million hats at once. How do we build the team? We just completed a round of funding, which was my full-time job. And so now I'm back into how do we let's fucking execute? Let's hit our numbers, surpass our numbers. Let's bring on some amazing people to join us in the boat. I don't really use rowing terms, but just felt right. And what's what's next for us to continue to have our finger on the pulse? Right. And you might ask me what's next. And you know, I just kind of want to go out and say kind of what I mentioned earlier, and that I don't think that you can say what your strategy is going to be five years from now. I have a very clear sense of what the next 12, 18 months look like, but part of the reason that we we're able to see digital so early and why we are the at the forefront of Omnichannel is that we constantly have our finger on the pulse. Because that's also my job today is to see what's next and innovate and be in charge of what the future of City Road looks like as we continue to meet our customers where they are. So it is a wildly different job, uh, but I'm lucky that I came from a background in business to be able to rise to that. Um, and if you're not prepared to change, then you probably aren't in the right seat at a startup. All right, so I'm going to ask you, because we get we get vulnerable in this podcast, so I'm going to ask you to go deep if you can, because obviously your energy is tremendous, right? Your, your The energy is, I can imagine working with you would be unbelievable. So you got the, all this energy, but there's got to be moments where you feel lonely, you have despair, you feel like you want to beat yourself up, you want to go crawl into a hole. Often that doesn't get seen a lot, right, out there in the in the, the social landscape. So can you share a little bit, folks listening in that are having trouble getting started with something, they're kind of going through a lot, and they feel like that, that mental headspace kind of gets um, kind of beat up pretty well. Can you share kind of those moments for you? How do you, how do you deal with them? How do you get past them? Any Anything you'd share on that front? E all of the above, everything you said, those plus all of all the other ones people even don't even talk about. It is, it is the hardest thing in the world. And it is, it is not for everyone, right? I I'm in the the final throes of writing a book called This is What It Really Takes that really dives into what it takes. And it starts, it just like peeks under the covers. There's a lot of rainbows and butterflies, right? Everyone tells you, you know, after the fact, here's 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 what it looked like, and you're sugarcoating things because it's, you know, you probably sold it for a lot of money. It is, it is really fucking hard. People, are, you're going to hear no 99% of the time. Mm-hmm. You're going to be taken advantage of. You're going to be screwed over. It is, it is not for the faint of heart. And I think, you know, a couple of things that people, you know, advised me on starting it and things that I also just developed over the years was this is the highs of highs and the lows of lows, Right. Because you talk about this, you know, fun energy and we're going to have a podcast and we're going to talk, we're going to, you know, post about it. It's going to be exciting. People are going to respond on Instagram with a fire emoji to our, 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 our pictures. I'm very excited about that. By the And so th- th- that's a high moment, right? When we have a Today Show piece or TechCrunch writes about us, like the high that you're on is insane. 
And you have to balance those with the lows of lows. And they often come in tandem. I remember like a very, very, very early example of this where it was before I opened the comp- opened the studio, probably about six months. I'm, I was I ran out during lunch. I was working at a projective space, co-working space down in like Chinatown, mm-hmm. my tech company. And I had to go get checks. I had to get the bank account checks to be able to write someone a check because you have to like, I had to pay for something. I didn't have a way to pay for anyone, anything from the business. Yeah. And so I went to the bank and I got the big checkbook, you know, that like has the big checks in it with like the area on the side. Right. And I'm walking back with the checkbooks. And I'm like, this, to me, that was like really hard to get the bank account and the checks. Like, you don't know me that well, but like paper and process, like I just don't have time or bandwidth for that mentally. And so I'm on my way back and my, I'm really excited. That morning we'd been put, we've been featured in Well and Good as like one of the hottest new fitness companies. We didn't have a space yet, but it was still a big deal because we were starting to capture emails. And on my way back, my lawyer called me. And our name was Row NYC. That was the name that was written up in Well and Good on the website, Facebook, the whole thing. And he's like, Helene, I got bad news. We can't call this company Row NYC. There's a company called Row New York. They do rowing for nonprofits and they are not okay with our use. And if we move forward, we're going to have a problem. So I've done my best, but you have to change the name. And so I'm sitting there on the corner of Chinatown and I have these brand new checkbooks with our name on it. And I'm told that we have to totally start from scratch. Tears, tears. I'm a crier. That's how I release stress. I cry all the time. You can ask my co-founder. She does not like it. Um, But you got to take them both in stride. And I think you have to also know yourself well enough to make sure that you actually can weather it. And by weather it, I mean, solve the problems and think creatively and call on people in your networks to help you. And if that doesn't describe you, then you probably shouldn't start a company. And so it's a combination of the idea and the capability to do it, but it's also, do you have these inherent abilities to navigate really, really, really tough waters. And not everyone does. Well, just one or two more questions. And, and actually, maybe if we go down the rabbit hole just for a bit, because you mentioned your co-founder a couple of times and, and you know, calling people for help. How important have having a support system in your life, how important has that been? Can you share a story or two of how they've come in handy, if you will? Um, how have you leaned into that a little bit more than just doing things by yourself? Oh, man. I'll start with like one of my favorite quotes, which is, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Something I think about very often. And when I had the idea for City Row, I knew, you know, I always say the number one important like trait in any kind of business or just probably like winning at life is being self-aware and knowing what you're good at, but more importantly, like knowing what you're not good at. And so the very early days, I knew that I was the, I was a business phase of this, right? I wasn't a fitness professional outside to go out on my own. I was a consumer. And so I needed a fitness person to come in and lead that. I was very lucky enough to bring on Annie Mulgrew, our VP and founding instructor. Funny story. We met up, we met study abroad, traveled all around Europe together, got into a lot of trouble. And then I was like, she's so fun. Maybe she'll do this with me. She did. And then it just became very clear that there was a big void in the brand in marketing. And I remember having dinner with Annie and basically crying because I didn't know how to do all these marketing things. And I knew that if I were to do it, it wouldn't be done well. And so I really needed Ashley to come in and help. And Ashley is is my co-founder and our chief brand officer, because I realized very quickly early on, one, she had the passion to see this 
and believe in this in the same way that I did, which that's really lucky. But two, and more importantly, we had very complementary skill sets. I run a million miles a minute. I never had a deck. I not great at proofreading things. And Ashley is smart, methodical. And so we were a very good complement for each other to build the company and we still are. And so I'm very, very grateful for that. And then over the time, it's really my people, my network that have continued to be there for us, whether we needed some bridge capital, whether I needed to call our contractor investor to do the construction work, even though he didn't want to. And so you're constantly having to ask for favors and lean on people. But the good thing is, is that they really, people really want to help. And so once you become vulnerable with them and say, I need help, they're there for you. Yeah. It's that getting to the point where you can ask and be okay with, you know, saying, I can't do this on myself. You know, I can't do this by myself, you know, you know. All right. So someone's listening in, Right. They're thinking of they have a fresh idea in their head or they want to lose 40 pounds or whatever, insert whatever, you know, getting started analogy here. Um, think of your entire career, all the different things you've learned, quotes, insights, you know, whatever, uh, conversations, et cetera. What do you think spent, what's the most glaring, um, glaring advice or insight that you've learned in that time. I know it's hard to pick one, but I'm going to, I'm going to press you on it. I like to say there's, you know, you have that post-it note you put on your computer to look at every day. What would you say to someone that's getting started in their journey uh, to put on their post-it note? Jump in the water's cold. Is that a cold plunge reference? Are you doing cold plunging? No, but you probably are. Um, I don't do that. I've never done yet. cold lunging. You're close though. You're it's a slippery slope um, from CrossFit. From CrossFit, it's slippery. But by, by uh, the way, what, we I didn't think of the take this aside, but you mentioned it. Do, have you ever done a cold shower? The benefits of a cold shower are phenomenal. Um, I'm in on a cold shower. I do like yeah. that, or the end of the shower, just like for the last thirty seconds. Yes, it's good for my hair. So. Yeah. No, I saw, I saw Rogan do like the 20 minute cold plunge. I don't know if you've seen this video of him. He, he did it for 20 minutes. He looked like he was going to die. Um, I, I'm like, no, that's not for me. I'm not signing up for that. So anyways, no, we're gonna say, say the quote again. What would you say for folks to put in the post-it note? Jump in, like do it, yeah. start the thing that you're afraid to start, but know that the water is cold. Mean, meaning it's not rainbows and butterflies. If you think, hey, I'm gonna start a company because I just, I wanna work for myself and I don't wanna have a boss, like, good luck. Maybe you'll step in shit, it'll be fantastic. But from what I know and being a founder and talking to founders, like it is, it is really, really, really cold waters. And so you have to go in really strong and really aware of what you're gonna run into. Also, there's some fucking creatures in the water. We didn't talk about that. Right. So you got to be ready for this, but if you're ready for it and you're armed for it, you have resources and you're self-aware, then you'll be able to tread water and kick the things in the water. So if everyone wants to say hello to you online, where do you go? Where's the best, where's the watering hole on social media that you, uh, that you play in? I would say my social media choices these days are Instagram, just at Helene Knapp or LinkedIn. My, my true, true name. And by the way, you said you have a, you're finishing writing a book. When's that supposed to be out? You have a launch date? Yeah, hopefully end of next year. Writing a book wow. takes a while, but I think, you know, that was my pandemic hobby. People got into like baking and, you know, other things. And 
I, I started writing a book because I was at a really interesting juncture at the company. We were preparing to raise a series A. It was taking forever. I was, you know, bored in quarantine. And I was like, what if I wrote the book before we win? What if it's yeah. a story from an entrepreneur who hasn't won, but probably will? Yeah. And you're kind of in the throes of it. You're like in real life. You're not, you're not reflect, as you mentioned earlier, you're not reflecting back and you can kind of paint the picture with so, you know, was so awesome. It's like, no, we're in the shit right now. Like this is yeah. real. And it's, it was, it's pretty cool because I started writing it before we closed the series A and the book will basically take us up to the series A. So it's basically a startup to series A over seven and a half years. And I already can feel a shift in energy. And so it's really cool. Like I am like, I'm editing it and looking through it and I'm like, oh my God, like it was just already such a different environment beforehand and different stressors. And I'm actually already excited for the next volume that I don't have time to write, but uh, hopefully it'll be a really interesting perspective for those early days and talk through some of these things like problem solving. Like, how do you know when you're ready? Like support system, what do you need? And um, I think that hopefully it can be helpful to people and real, you know? Yeah. Did you, what was your writing process? Did you like every single day put some time or was it kind of, kind of a crapshoot whenever you had a few minutes here and there? So I actually partnered with someone who's done this a bunch of times and we, I did a lot of talking. So I'm a big walker and talker. Um, I don't love sitting in front of a computer and typing because I have a million miles, I run a million miles a minute. And so we actually, we did a lot of talking. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of storytelling. And then it was, how do we start to compartmentalize these into themes, right? Where where do we want this to go? What do we want people to feel when they're reading it, when they finish reading it? Um, And so I did a lot of talking. Promise me that you're going to do the audio book. Oh, interesting. No one's asked that. Yes. Yeah, I would, I would encourage well, okay. because your because your energy, your your voice, your thought process through it, like having someone else read it, it would be. It's kind of like um, I don't know if you ever have you ever read uh, "Can't Hurt Me" David Goggins' book. Oh. I would absolutely recommend that. I think you'd love that. His story is so phenomenal, but the audio book. Now he actually had his editor read it, although he came in and did like the intro, and they did like a mini podcast between episodes or between chapters. But anyways, having like the voice you're used to or hearing or whatever, especially your energy, I think you can tell this story. I don't, I don't know why more, more folks don't do it, like read the audiobook themselves yeah. that wrote it. But anyways, I would encourage you. I appreciate um, that. Yeah, I will take that into consideration. I could not agree more. Like <laughs> when Renee does her own audio on her books, like it's just like you salivate on everything. So I will, I will request that I do it. I get in a little bit of trouble sometimes because I don't understand grammar or punctu- punctuation. Um, so I might make a couple of mistakes, but you know, yeah. if we can work through that, yeah. you, can, you can coach me. Maybe, maybe. Helene, this was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your journey and some insight for the, uh, for the audience. I appreciate the time today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Brian. This was fun. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that great interview and thanks again for stopping by. And just one more quick thing before you run along in your day. If you were looking for some more resources, some more insight, you know, inspiration, things to get you going a little bit further on your journey, feel free to head over to my website, brianondraco.com forward slash subscribe, and you can sign up for my weekly newsletter that comes out. That's more of a digest of a lot of information that I discover throughout the week, whether it's a new podcast I listen to, or maybe it's a great follow online that's very insightful or a video I came across. I put that in a digestible form that you get once a week. 
as well as I blog three times a week. And these are very micro-type blogs, one to five-minute reads. They hit your inbox Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning and maybe give you a little dose of inspiration to get you going on your day. So feel free to sign up for those if it's something you might find as value. Thanks again for listening in. I hope you guys have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.